0: Let's look at a parable. What do you say? Let's look at Luke 13, 18 through 21. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what should I compare it? It is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in the garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nest in its branches. And again, he said, to what should I compare the kingdom of God? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measurements of flour until all of it was leavened. Father, we thank you for this morning and this time to be together. and Lord, we pray now that our hearts and minds are open, and Lord may your spirit work in us, move in us and transform us more into your likeness. It's in your son's name, we pray. Amen. I was reminded of the function of the parables this week while reading one of David and Nathan's interactions from Luke, I'm sorry, from Second Samuel 12:1 through7. It seems like, David, the work, worry, and hustle of the days kind of lull us to sleep a little bit. We don't have to worry about God because, like last week, we think we've got God figured out. And so what happens is, with all of this work and worry and hustle, a kind of dulling of the conscience causes us to rationalize our actions and our attitudes, and like David, It took a parable to shake him out of his slumber into the realization that he was the guilty party. And that's the thing about parables is they unsettle us and they point us toward the one who irrationally saves and offers, as we saw last week, a form of scandalous grace. And so it's my prayer as we go through these that we have the ears to hear these stories once again. The late Carnegie Mellon professor Randy Posh recalled a story about a former student. Posh was the chair of the selection committee for Carnegie Mellon's um, computer science engineering graduate program. It was and still is a prestigious program for all aspiring computer science engineers And Posh recalls a young lady who applied and was about to be turned down from the program. Her grades were good. Her portfolio and exams were good. But none of this was good enough for the program. Because as Posh says, the program could afford to be picky about who they decided to let in. However... Before turning her down, Posh decided to look through her file one last time. And as he flipped through the papers, he noticed a handwritten thank you note between the pages. The student had written a note, not to anyone on the faculty, not to Posh or the selection committee, but to a non-faculty member who had helped with the interview arrangements just a secretary who helped get things in order. And this person ended up, not knowing what to do with the note, just tossing it into her file for no reason. She just did it. And after reading the note, and another faculty member reading the note, the two began to read through her material one more time. Reflecting on her act... A handwritten note, and for all of us who've been married or had kids, men, who wrote the handwritten notes in your thank yous. But reflecting on her act, Posh and the faculty member decided she was worth taking a chance on. The student came into the program, received her master's degree, and went on to become a very successful computer engineer. Jesus has just healed a crippled woman of 18 years, freeing her from the bondage and baggage of her sentence. All the while, the religious leaders were more frustrated with the act that Jesus just performed because it happened on the Sabbath. Jesus, in this passage, chastises the religious elite. And the crowd rejoices the many acts and that Jesus chastised the religious elite, as it tells us in Luke 13, verse 17. Which brings us to our text today. The text, the parable of the mustard seed and leaven. Here in Luke 13, 18 through 21 what has just happened is Jesus has performed mighty acts. But then in this parable, he speaks of the kingdom of God in such a small and inconsequential way. He uses tiny terms for the kingdom of God. But here's the thing, the kingdom of God doesn't feel small. The kingdom of God should not be small. I mean, it is the kingdom of God. When we think kingdom, kingdom is not some small throwaway inconsequential term. Jesus has just been performing unbelievable acts around the people. He has chastised the religious leader as someone with power. Shouldn't the kingdom be more like, I don't know, a mighty oak? Or the most powerful army than the smallest seed or a little bit of insignificant yeast? Kingdom and God put together, are not small. Yet this kingdom, this kingdom that Jesus talks about, a kingdom that has been anticipated and waited on for centuries by the people, this kingdom is being announced by the most unexpected of persons. A man born in a scandalous way, And don't you think that gossip has followed him on his journey? I mean, he's that guy, that guy from Nazareth, that guy that was supposedly born from a virgin mother. I mean, gossip has followed him because of his scandalous birth. Secondly, he's from Nazareth. Remember, nothing good comes from Nazareth. And the kingdom of God is being talked about and coming through this man, not the halls of the palace or by royal decree, but by a guy scandalously scandalously born in Nazareth. And there's not an army following Jesus. Unless you count the group of 12 ragtag men and a few women, as Luke tells us, in eight Chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, soon afterwards, he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod Stuart Chusa, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. Just a ragtag group of twelve guys and some women there's no power or notoriety at all amongst them. When you see them, you don't think kingdom. And it's easy to discount ourselves in the same way. It's easy to discount ourselves and our meaning in the world. I mean, when we think of kingdoms even today. We think of power and majesty. In the last few weeks with the death of Queen Elizabeth, have we not seen power and grandeur? Have we not seen kingdom and empire on display as they say goodbye to a monarch? I mean, we've seen it. It's not a small thing. And England's not a big country, and yet it's a big idea with pomp and circumstance and guards and military people and dignitaries. That's what we want when Jesus announces the kingdom of God. I think that's what the disciples wanted when Jesus announced the kingdom of God. They wanted grandeur, they wanted power. We think kingdom, we want takeovers and priority. We want to win in the loudest of ways when it comes to kingdom presence. But that's not how Jesus portrays the kingdom. For as much as we live in a world that promotes magnitude and greatness, we admire the underdog, yes but we would rather be the big dog. Big man on campus is always better than little man that no one knows about on campus, is it not? I mean, we read throughout the journeys of Jesus, the many ways the disciples were hoping the kingdom would come. We read throughout the, the journeys of Jesus the way, they were, the way they saw the kingdom. They saw the kingdom of God like the Roman Empire. It would be that big and that audacious. And between the infighting and the disciples for who would sit at the right and left hand of Jesus and Peter rebuking Jesus when Jesus spoke of his own death, the disciples, we see, have a vision, a vision and a metaphor for the kingdom of God, and it has nothing to do with the mustard seed and yeast. And yet that's what we have here. Mustard seed and leaven, mustard seed and yeast. The metaphors employed for this parable tells us that the kingdom of God is not some loud and boisterous coming in might and power. No, what we read in the parable instead is the kingdom is unimpressive and almost subversive in nature. You don't really notice it, or you might even look past it. You might even think it's a waste of time. Because here's the thing, with the metaphor of mustard seed and yeast, it is so incredibly ordinary and small that when thinking about the kingdom, especially the kingdom of God, the metaphor for the hearer and for the disciple is almost disappointing in, when you think about it. We'd much rather Jesus say, the kingdom, is li- the kingdom of God is like a mighty army. The kingdom of God is like the University of Kansas winning the 2022 national championship. That's the kingdom coming for me. But no, he doesn't say that. It's disappointing. And again, we have to think about the idea in which the kingdom is operating in the minds of the disciples. How the kingdom idea operates in our mind. And how we think the kingdom should operate in the world today. I mean, we all have probably a picture of what the kingdom of God will look like. And what it should look like. And in fact, throughout history, many have tried to create or bring the kingdom of God in their own ways to the world throughout history. We've seen that. People trying to bring the kingdom of God to the world. And have you ever just kind of sat back and seen how that kingdom of God seems to mirror or be like who they are and their ideas and their ways. Part of the problem with the Crusades was, there was an idea of a group of people thinking that they could bring the kingdom of God in their own way and in their own time. And the only problem in the statement is that it is their vision of the kingdom for the world. Here and throughout the many parables and metaphors Jesus uses for the kingdom, the imagery of the kingdom is one of ordinariness and smallness. It's almost as if Jesus is trying to tell us that God works differently than the ways of the world, that God doesn't need to learn from the world its ways of power. It's not as if God is like, oh, I get it, Rome. That's how I do the kingdom. Got it. Let me go from there. Here's the thing. We've all seen those ways. We've all seen empires. We've all seen kingdoms. Empires rise and empires fall. The kingdom of God will come from a teenage girl in Nazareth. She doesn't live in the palace halls. There will be shame and gossip surrounding her pregnancy. But from this small ordinary teenage girl the Messiah will come the kingdom of God will look like a man from Nazareth preaching and embodying the good news of God preaching and embodying in the most ordinary of ways to the most ordinary of people good news will be good news for those who have never heard good news good news might be bad news as we see for the people in the palace halls The mustard seed, while insignificant, when planted, as Jesus shows us, becomes something surprising. And over time, as it is nurtured and tended to, something significant blossoms from the ground. It's invasive in the most unexpected of ways. It gives a place for the birds to nest. One small seed, and for them at the time, one of the smallest measurements for them, becomes the largest thing in the garden. It's planted and Jesus says it becomes a large tree. The seed, which is incredibly common, becomes something uncommon, a tree. Now, when most hear Jesus speaking of the mustard seed and he says it becomes a tree, you have to realize it doesn't make sense because a mustard seed doesn't become a tree, it actually becomes a shrub of some sort. And I'm sorry when I say shrub, if you're like how my mind works, the only thing I can think about is Mighty Python, and the Holy Grail. So, sorry. A shrubbery. But he said, none of y'all are laughing. Like, help me out here a little bit. Uh, anyway, but he says it becomes a tree. Well, it doesn't make sense to the hearers when Jesus speaks because that's not what a mustard seed becomes. And yet Jesus says, in the most unexpected of ways, it will become a large tree. And maybe that's the subversiveness of the kingdom. It comes in ways that are not always apparent to us. It shows up in the voices and the faces, the most unexpected and unimpressive of people. Have you ever just been sitting with someone and having a conversation? Not much of anything, just a conversation. But all of a sudden this conversation becomes something more than you thought it would become. Out of nowhere, it just shows up. And maybe that's the unsettled nature of the story of the kingdom in this. It does not come in the way you want it to. It's not going to come in the way I want it to. It works like the yeast in a batch of dough. It works from the inside. The yeast does its thing to the dough from the inside. Just a few verses earlier, Jesus uses this yeast metaphor as a negative towards the Pharisees in Luke 12, verse 1. He says, Beware the Pharisees and their yeast. Now Jesus flips the script on the, with the metaphor. The kingdom of God has its own way of working in the world, subtly, with one act of goodness, with one, one act of kindness, with an act of mercy, with an act of forgiveness. It's not bold and brash or abrasive. While a bullhorn feels right to let the whole world know, standing on a soapbox and pointing fingers, God says that's not how it works. I was reminded of an incident that happened to me years ago when I was at ACU. There was a group of us for spring break campaigns that went to San Diego, and we were working with uh, the campus minister at San Diego State University. And during this time, we were having great conversations on the campus. They really were. They were just, you know, there's just, it's like this, they just kind of surprised you. We talked to Buddhists and atheists and everyone in between, you name it. And they were great conversations until me and one of my friends walked up to the SDSU mall, the campus mall. And there, there there was a group of people who were literally standing on soapboxes. So I can't tell you, no, they got on their soapbox. They were on a soapbox. And they had bullhorns. And guess where they were sending all the San Diego State University students? One guess. They were all going to hell. And in the process of this, we witnessed a shouting match between students. The whole thing devolved into something that you can imagine. And my friend and I looked at each other, and I can remember him looking at me and saying, these people just crushed all the work we were doing. And when he said it, there was disgust and there was sadness in his voice. Because we think sometimes the kingdom of God has to come with us standing on a soapbox and screaming from a bullhorn, and pointing a finger at others. The unsettling nature of the parable is this, the kingdom of God doesn't work that way. It works in the seeming unoppressive and in ordinary ways. I like how Eric Swanson says it. He says, Our Lord himself has nothing attractive by his nature and would draw us to him. After all, if we look at it from the perspective of an average person in the first century, there could be nothing more seemingly insignificant than a Jewish man from a small corner in Palestine that was murdered by a crucifixion. And this is what he says, and I agree. But that's how the kingdom of God operates. And yet, as unimpressive as it may look, God's kingdom is still growing Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. Sure they are, if you continue in the mode of the way of the world, but God says it's not how I work. We think bold. The kingdom moves, grows, and blossoms with the little things. Taking care of our neighbor. Welcoming a stranger. Taking time with children. Being patient with that one difficult person. Maybe a friendly smile or saying a kind word, or just being a safe place for someone. All feel little in the moment. All feel insignificant in the moment. However, I'm reminded of Paul writing to the Corinthian church, and a debate was raging about the impactfulness of Paul when compared to Apollos. And Paul says this, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Did you hear that? Planting and watering, and God creates the growth. That's the kingdom of God. Kingdom people living their everyday lives in kingdom ways. That's it. Not big, brash in abrasiveness, bold in our love, audacious in our kindness, abundant in our mercy, overflowing in our forgiveness. Each day we plant mustard seeds in the lives of others and our neighborhoods. Collectively, we can be the yeast in the batch that is our community. Each new day, God's kingdom grows a little bit more. It's subversive. It's one day at a time, one person at a time. And there was a quote that I liked from, a, from a, a theologian, and she says it like this. She says, the challenge of the parable could be much... I like how she uses this word, homier. Don't ask when the kingdom comes or where it is. The when is in its own time, as long as it takes for seed to sprout and dough to rise. The where is that it is already present. It's not fully formed, but it's already present in the world. And maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is a mustard seed and yeast, Jesus says, we're in it for the long game, one person at a time. So as I close today, my only question for you as you think about this parable is who will be your one tomorrow? Who will be the one that you plant the mustard seed in tomorrow? If you have any needs this morning, come now as we stand and as we sing.